know a few people are still coming up from downstairs. Um, so probably give them a minute more to get back up. I did write a few things, um, you know, while we were worshiping, and one of the things I wrote down, um, the spirit is one true, because um, some of the things I wrote down, Nathan, um, uh, you know, had to touch on some of those things. One of the things I wrote down was to do nothing from a place of fear, um, because fear is not of God. This is what scripture says. It says, I, you've not received the spirit of fear, but a spirit of love, of power, and of sound mind, and not a spirit of fear. You see, we, we, we might be taking decisions in the next few days or weeks um, as, as things progress, but one of the things that as, as a leadership of church, we, and, and, and as leaders, leaders of families, and, and leaders in the different spheres where we find ourselves, that we have to take decisions that will be that, 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 and we, that we are responsible for people, um, none of those decisions will be a, from a place of fear, but a place of confidence in what God has said. Another thing that I want to bring across that I also wrote down is this, that um, Scripture says in Daniel, it says, and, it shall, and those that know their God shall be strong and they shall do exploits. Habakkuk said this, he says, um, he says, and the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. And perhaps, and, and I, 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 I tend to say this also, that faith is a product of knowledge. Because faith is confidence. And confidence is birthed from a place of knowledge. The more that I know about someone, the more I can trust them. It is difficult to trust a stranger that you know absolutely nothing about. But the more you get to know someone and you're convinced of their character, then you, you can begin to trust them more. So faith comes from knowledge. That is why the Bible says, They that know their God shall be strong and they will do exploits. One of my prayers for the church is this, that God will expose us in this season to, to, to the knowledge of God. God will open our hearts and flood our hearts with the knowledge of God so that we are able to say with confidence when we speak, not with arrogance, but with confidence that the things that we speak of are the things that we have seen, that we have touched, the things that we are convinced of because we know him who has promised. We know him who has promised. And so I say to us as a church and that as, you know, as, as we go through these days, there are things that, of course, don't make sense you know, to us. But, and as I thought about these things, it's, God said to um, Abraham, is there anything too hard for me to do? There isn't. Um, if you're like me and you, watch, you, you like to watch movies, one of the Marvel movies, um, the latest Avengers series, you know, you had the Thanos God, you know, guy who snapped the finger and is it a third of the universe, you know, disappeared. And the finger of God is a lot more powerful than the finger of Thanos. You know, and, and you can begin to question, why wouldn't God just snap a finger and this virus is gone? 
when David was confronted with Goliath. This was his testimony. He said, I was a shepherd boy. I was keeping my father's sheep in the wilderness. A bear came and I slew the bear. And a lion came and I slew the lion. And he says, this giant will be like the bear and like the lion. Humanity needs the experiences like these, like like the experiences of malaria when it was a thing that killed people, when it was the experiences of measles, when there were no vaccines against measles. We've built up as, a, as humanity on the experiences of, of, of things that have appeared, like coronavirus, like the COVID-19 virus. We've built up on experiences of HIV as a species. And we, as humanity, will also pull through this. It is at times like this that we remind ourselves of that, that as uh, collectively we are stronger than anything that will come against us. But as a church, we have the advantage also of God on our side. Having said that, um, just gonna share a word of prayer so we can go into the message that we have this morning. Um, Father, we just want to thank you again for you are good and you are faithful. We know that all your promises towards us that we can trust them. And as I pray this morning, I pray again, Lord, that you will expose us to the knowledge of yourself and of your word to, for us. Let us know your will. Let us know your thoughts. Let us know your heart. Especially in this season, Lord, give us word that is due and, and, and in due season. Cause us to run with confidence with the word given to us. Enlighten our hearts, Lord. You know, feed our hearts with confidence in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I'm going to start with um, something funny again, you know, as, as I would normally do. Um, I do realize that these days, not everything I um, say, especially to in my family, is funny. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know if it's um, me getting blunt or, yes, I guess, I guess it's the age thing, you know, so um, some of my jokes now aren't, um, you know, aren't compliant to, to, they are not generationally compliant. The uh, yeah, you know, the dad jokes. So they, they, they like, you finish and you're expecting them to laugh and they're like, oh, what was he talking about? Um, but, you know, there's a story about this um, lady who, thought the church wasn't very adaptive to the feminist movement. And so she comes to church and she asks a question. She says, why do we have to end every prayer with amen? Why can't we say a women? And um, yes, you know, the whole equality thing, why can't we just say a women? You know, maybe the men say amen, the women say a women, the kind, kind of thing. Uh, and so the pastor responds and says, well, just for the same reason why we sing hymns and not hers. Um, <laughs> whatever that reason will be. <laughs> Today is the end of our series on fruits of the Spirit. And we've had a fantastic run on, on delving into the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And for me, it's been an interesting journey because, you know, it's, it's easy to read those 
two scriptures, those two verses of the Bible. And, and, and I've heard, you know, sat in meetings where that two, those two verses were covered in one preach. And that's entirely possible. But then it, it brings a different experience when you are able to now sit on each one of them and begin to unpack them one after the other and, and delve into them and, and, and try to see how, you know, these things apply to you and the benefit they will, you know, they will add to your life or bring to your to your life when you see these things manifest in you. And, and so as we read Galatians chapter 5 and, and, and we read through 22 and 23, we, we saw a lot of um, what the Holy Spirit produces in us as Christians when we allow him to. I, um, I, I firmly believe that these are not things that we produce, but the things that the Holy Spirit himself produce, produces within our hearts. I, I'm a bit conscious of time, so... Um, I will run through um, at this time. What you're going to get this morning is a very long introduction. <laughs> a very long introduction, but the introduction is a story. Um, I'm going to tell you a story this morning. When I'm done with the story, um, I'm going to tell the story again, um, longer than the first one. When I'm done with, this, with telling the story again, um, I'm going to read a scripture. When I'm done reading the scripture, I'm going to read the scripture again. When I'm done reading the scripture again, I'm going to share with us what I think, what I believe self-control truly is. Are we ready? Are we ready, church? Good. We need to be communicating out, shouldn't we? So, let me tell you a story. It's a good story about a man that committed adultery. That's not a good story, is it? <laughs> you see, the good is not in what he did. The good is in what comes out of the story. I often think about the good in Good Friday the death of a savior, the one who did nothing wrong, but there's the, it's, not, it's not the act of itself that happened on Good Friday. It's not, that, that's not the good. The good is in the fruit of it. But this story is in 2 Samuel chapter 11. You see, the story tells the story of Dave and Beth. Dave. Everyone knows Dave, and we know Beth. You may know her as Bathsheba or Bethsheba, um, but that's, I call her Beth. So we, we're talking about the story of Dave and as I said, Dave, Dave walks in through the door. Um, if you look behind, you see Dave walking in, but not that Dave. Um, at this time, Beth um, was a woman. So if we read through that scripture in um, 2 Samuel chapter 11, it, it begins when it, it, the scripture introduces Beth. It calls, scripture calls her name Bathsheba. And, and she was a woman, she was a daughter, she was a wife. And later she was to become a rape victim, a widow and a mother. Her grandfather was Ahitophel, who at this time was one of the king's um, great advisors, uh, a top advisor to the king. Um, her father probably was a, one of the king's mighty men in, in the king's army. Her husband too was a respected warrior in the king's guard. And Dave, uh, you know, we all know Dave, um, David, he was the greatest king of Israel, um, the sweet psalmist um, of Israel as well, the young man that killed giants and bears and lions. And Dave was a man after God's own heart. 
And the scripture tells us that Dave, you know, saw Beth bathing while he was taking a stroll um, on the palace of the roof, and he desired her. And so he sent for her, he slept with her, and that was what happened. Um, but can I say that sometimes how something happened um, unpacks a bit more detail than the story of what just happened. Do, do we get that? The how unpacks the details you know, much more than what just happened. And you may agree with me that oftentimes scripture is so condensed to truly relate the story that we may need to unpack the story a bit more. For instance, if we read 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24, the Bible says there that David comforted um, Bathsheba. She gets pregnant. She had a baby. She did a naming ceremony. And the Lord confirmed to them that he loved the child. All of this happened in one verse of scripture. So if you truly want to understand how the how behind um, 2 Samuel 12 verse 24, you need to unpack it. You need to begin to ask yourself the questions around this. You, you, you unpack the fact that he comforts Bathsheba. What does it mean? Why does she need comforting? She gets pregnant. She has a baby. That's a nine-month period. So we get to realize that a lot was packed into that one verse. In terms of time scales, for instance, you're looking at about nine months to 12 months inside one verse of scripture. So you may not see um, where this is going at the moment because we are supposed to be talking about self-control, correct? And as uh, you know, you might be here this morning wondering, okay, where is all this story going? But if you stay with me for a few more minutes, um, the coordinates will start um, appearing shortly. That's the story. I'm going to tell the story again. So here's one cool spring evening, and we have Dave walking along um, the, the rooftop of the palace. And as he was walking along, he looks out of his window and he sees this young woman who was taking what they refer to as a ceremonial bath. You see, in those days, in, in the custom of the Hebrew women, when they are coming out of their monthly cycle, their monthly period, they have what, they, you know, what is regarded in, as a ceremonial bath. And, and within that ceremonial bath, the idea is that it makes them, it cleanses them, it makes them clean ceremonially so that they are able to, to continue having relations with their husbands and, and, and with the rest of the family. So it, it, the custom was that if you do not perform that, his, that ceremonial cleaning, that you bring that uncleanliness to whatever you touch, just like the virus, just like Corona. Um, so it was a different name, I'm sure, not covid um, but the idea was that when you touch something, if you're, if you're unclean, what you touch becomes unclean. You're unclean, you come into your household, your household becomes unclean. So it was a, a very important part of, of, of their culture. And so you had this lady, um, her name was, I call her Beth, having a ceremonial bath. And the king looks out of the window and he catches a glimpse as he was just passing. And he felt like, what did I see? So he takes a step backwards and he peeps out again. Oh, wow. And that was where the problem started. It was Matt Murray that said to us sometime when he was here, there are some things that you see that you can't unsee, some things that you hear that you can't easily unhear. That's why scripture says, guard your heart with all diligence, because once these things enter, it's difficult to get them out again. And out of the things that come in, they, it comes what defiles us, because they, our heart begins to process these things. 
and, and, and sometimes we begin to struggle. Scripture says in the Psalms, it says, Your word have I hidden in my heart so that I will not sin against you. Take heed what we let into our hearts. But so the king sees what he probably should not have seen. And he takes another look. And it was the most beautiful woman, you know, who was having her um, cleansing, as I said. I believe that perhaps in that instance, guilt shot through him that he has done what was wrong and, and, and he began to try to get this out of his mind. But somehow it became a struggle that you know, he just wasn't able to get that image out of his mind. And so he said, well, um, th there's a tug of, of, of war, a tug match that began to take hold in his mind between the king and, and, and his desires and his morale and, and between this monster within him and his godless you know this this godless nature that every one of us really has and so the king found his thoughts drifting again and again in the course of the day to this woman he saw earlier on in the evening and i mean he was a king after all he could have almost anything he wanted he was a king this these were the days when kings ruled with absolute power in fact he could have any woman he wanted the king could even rationalize that any woman he declares interest in, it will be like a privilege and honor for the woman to be, you know, the king is interested in you. And so he called his men and said, who's that woman? Go find out who she is. And so they went to find out who she is and they came back and reported to the king. But there was a problem. She was married. She was married, not just that she was married, she was married to one of David's mighty men. So it wasn't that simple. So again, the king struggled even further. His unholy desire against his morality and, 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 and the desire that was against what he knew would please God was wrestling against his conscience. On one side, the king pulled you know there was a king he was pulling to take control again over the situation and on the other side there was his desires exerting an even more greater pull on the other side and there was this talk between the king and his unholy desires and um it was demanding to be fed it was demanding to be in control and after a while, the king sends his men again and said, go bring her. And so they went and seized Bathsheba and brought her to the king and he slept with her. The monster within the king has just won the tug, of, the tug match between it and the king. And this tug of war repeats itself again and again a couple of weeks later when Bathsheba sends message to the king and said, I think I'm pregnant. Because there's a problem now, right? I've done the first bad thing. Now, there's a, more, a bigger problem. How do we do this? And I believe there's another tug of war that happened as the king was trying to decide, how do I take care of this situation? Eventually, that led to the murder of an innocent man. So this woman was made a widow as well. Can we get Romans 7, 14 to 15 on the screen, please? You see, the essence of retelling this story is this, that there is a struggle that happens 
within us, a struggle for control, a struggle to be in charge, a struggle to be able to exert influence over our temperament, over our emotions, over our circumstances, over our career, over the things that we, we find as part of our lives. There's a tension all the time between us and something else that we are trying to exert this control, that we are trying to put it under. Romans 7, 14 to 15 says, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. Um, I think another version says, I am flesh and blood, sold as a slave to sin. Verse 15. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. I don't know if you're here today or anyone here and you, know, you've, you've, you, you feel that this in some way or the other you know, speaks to you. It does to me. It does to me. Um, another version puts it this way. It says, I can't anticipate the response that is coming. I know that all God's commandments are spiritual but I'm not. He says, isn't this your experience? Yes, I am full of myself after all. I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another. Don't th uh, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. This is a message Bible. You see, the, the, the nature of mankind hasn't changed. James put it this way, Elijah was a man of like passion. Can I say to us also that Dave was a man of like passion? With a lot of us in this room today, the nature of mankind has not changed. Elijah was a man of like passion. It was a positive example, but Dave was a man of like passion, perhaps a negative example. The same could have been said of David, men like us. You see, what we read here is coming from one of the greatest apostles of, of, of all times, the Apostle Paul. He said, the things that I wish not to do, these are the things that I've seen myself doing. Paul was expressing the frustration of trying and failing to exercise this fruit of the Spirit called self-control. I can't do what I want to do but I do what I don't want to do. Paul, too, is a, was a man of like passion, just like we. We all struggle, some with being a good spouse or being the example of a godly parent to our children. We struggle. Some struggle with godly speech, with being able to bridle our, um, our tongue and use it solely to the praise of God and to the edifying of the church of Jesus Christ. But we struggle. Some of us may be losing it with our struggle, with our one addiction or broken promises and resolutions, but we all struggle in something. Some struggle with responding gracefully when we are under pressure or extending forgiveness to those who hurt us, but we struggle. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you, you feel like letting it out, but you know that when you, when you let go, what is going to come out of you isn't going to glorify God. And there's that tension and that struggle that you just feel like letting it go. But we struggle. 
I do. You see, but the fruit or the work which the Holy Spirit's abiding presence in us produces is, among others, self-control. I like to see, I probably would like to point this to us, that when the Bible says in Galatians 5, 23 to 24, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, and it begins to list them. For a, lo- a long time, I found this to be a bit contradictory because I expect to see for the fruits of the Spirit is all the nine. But it, it was a singular thing there. And, and, and I don't know how you understand it or how you read that or how you reconcile the, the singular with the plural. You know. um, but for me, I, I get to see this way that the key thing there is that it is the fruit of the Spirit. You see... The fruit of the Spirit is what the Spirit produces. And I don't know if, you, if you've ever been to a farm before, but you know, in certain farms you, you have more than one produce. You could have a farm that is a singular produce farm, but you could have a farm that is a multiple, you know, that produces a variety of crops. And so if I say concerning that farmer that, that his produce include beans, legumes, maize, corn, I am listing a number of things that one person produces. And when the Bible refers to the fruit of the Spirit, the emphasis is on the Spirit and on the things that he produces. So I see that when the Holy Spirit is given free access to our lives, these are the result of the things that he begins to produce. And I tend to look at the word fruit as the work of the Holy Spirit in us. I want us to look at self-control. What is it? Self-control is a fruit or the work that the Holy Spirit produces in us, which makes our temperament and desires subject to his control. And this is very important. Not our control. Not the control of our old and godless nature. I'm going to say that again. That self-control is a fruit or the work that the Holy Spirit produces in us, which makes our temperaments and desires subject to his control and not ours. Self-control is not us developing a strong will or what we call willpower. That's not self-control. It is not us being able to say no. I've heard people say that self-control is your ability to say no to something, And yes, when you have to, your ability to discern when to say yes and when to say no. That's helpful. It is very helpful to know when to say yes and when to say no. But from what the Bible says about self-control, that ends self-control. Self-control is not me trying my best, you know, to rein in my emotions or getting a grip over my temperament. It's less about me. It's more about the Holy Spirit being in charge. Expressing control over my response to temptation. Control over my interactions with people and over my desires. It's about the Holy Spirit being in control. I think self-control is easier understood when we define self. And we understand that it is more about the control of self and self is is a nature of man without god 
So self-control is not me being in control. It is my nature without God being under control. I don't know if that makes sense. That understanding changed, it, it kind of did a reformatting about the, my, you know, it, it changed my paradigm about the, 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 the fruit, the work of the Holy Spirit that produces self-control. That is not about me trying to get things in control because that's where the struggle always is. David struggled and fell because it was about him being in control. We've struggled and we fell because it is because we are trying to get control over the situation. But self-control that the Lord teaches, that the Holy Spirit produces, it is his work. And because it is his work, it is him being in control over our temperaments, over our desires, over our self. You see, my job every day, um, some of us may know, I, I, I work, I, I get asked this question a lot, so what, what do you do? And I, I've struggled sometimes to exp explain what I do. I work as an insight analyst. I'm sure a lot of us that means nothing to us, um, but, you know, but some of us it does. You know, so basically what I do as an insight analyst is I look at data, lots of data from everywhere. And from those data, I produce visualizations and charts, graphs, tables, reports, and, and I present these things to people who would need them to make decisions around them. You see, the work, it's that I, that's the work I do. So I produce visualizations and, and I produce insight. Now, the work I do itself is done within a computer, all right? So sometimes that will involve writing codes, but it's done within a computer. Now, you will agree with me that it is not the effort of the computer that produces these visualizations. Are we together? It is my expertise, it's my skill, it's my ability that will produce what you will see. It will be error to begin to expect the computer to produce these things without my intervention. It will be a struggle that can never materialize when you expect the computer, you come on in the morning and you sit on the desk and you press it on and you sit back and you wait for it to process the data, analyze it, and give you the visualization, it won't happen. But when a human being with the necessary skills comes, sits down, and begins to do those things and produce it, this is exactly what the Holy Spirit does. When we expect that within ourselves we are able to produce self-control, we are able to produce patience, we are able to produce kindness, we are able to produce love or the grace that accompanies these things, we are like that switching on the computer and expecting it to do the job that a man should do with it. It's not going to happen. We'll struggle. In the same way, self-control is a product of the Holy Spirit. As I produce and display reports in the computer, the Holy Spirit produces and displays self-control within us. So how do I get self-control? It's very important that, you know, beyond knowing what we know, that we find out how we can make these things a part of us. You can't. You can't get self-control, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to have called you to say all these things and tell you that you can't have it. <laughs> but that's not exactly true. When I say you can't, is that it's not, again, everything I said boils down to this. It is about the Holy Spirit producing it in you. 
It can be in you, but there's, it's not about what you do that produces this. Now, here's why I get to start tie, tying it all up together. Um, I know it's possible that when I was telling the story, I could have, you know, somebody could have been asking the question, where is this going to? I hope if you were asking the questions from the beginning, can you see where it's going to now in some ways? Is anybody getting something this morning? Please, if you're not, tell me you're not. Is anybody not getting anything this morning? Right. Cool. You see, the reason is, it's, I, I, the reason I, I try to interact this way is that my, my objective is not to come and deliver a, a message this morning. My objective is that the message I deliver is like the seed that falls on good ground. My objective is that the message I deliver is laid in someone's heart who can take these things and be inspired and run with them. It's my, my objective is that this word is productive in someone's life and if possible, in everyone's life. And so if nothing I've said today sticks, please make yourself a target for this one, last one to stick. To see self-control as a fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we need one, to develop intimacy with the Holy Spirit. To see self-control as a fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we need to, one, develop intimacy with the Holy Spirit. When I spoke to us about patience as a fruit of the Spirit, I, dwell, I, I spent less time on patience and spoke more about the Holy Spirit. It was intentional. The reason why that was, was you can't have it without him. And again, I, I can't overemphasize the place of the Holy Spirit when we are talking about the work that he alone can do. And that intimacy with him is something that we desperately need if we are ever going to see these things expressed within our lives. Intimacy, I often try to explain this as, 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 as what you have between a man and his wife. It's, 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 it's a, perhaps one of the deepest forms of, of relationship. It's a bonding. And it's not just between a man and his wife. It could be between friends. It could be between a mother and a child. Um, and so it's, it's that that knowing of ourselves to the point where you know what this person's thoughts will be when a situation like this is presented to them. You are confident that this person can represent you even when you are not there because you've, there is a knowing between you. Now this is a key point here. The second thing you need to do if you need to see self-control expressed in your life as a fruit of the Holy Spirit is this, lose control. I'll say that again, lose control. There's a guy called Jonathan Bricker. Jonathan Bricker holds a PhD um, in, a, in the science of behavioral change. And he uses this, um, his knowledge and expertise to help people who want to do behavioral modification. For instance, people have struggled with um, health habits. He focuses in the area of health, actually. So, for instance, someone wants to stop smoking. Someone wants to lose weight. Someone wants to uh, you know, have a, life, a behavioral change that leads to better um, health. So that's where he majors in. Um, he has a funding in excess of $14 million. You know, so the point here is that 
for him to be entrusted with this kind of money, he kind of knows what he's doing and he's getting results. Here's what he said. He said the secret of self-control is to give up your control. This is science talking. Science understands that the more we try to be in control, the more we lose control. It's a cycle that we struggle. The more we run to get it, the more we lose control about it. Science has gotten it. The church needs to get it. I often say that science lags behind faith, and it is true. Science plays catch-up to faith. Um, and I can prove this to you at another time. But he says it, the secret of self-control is to give up control. I'm going to ask for, um, she doesn't know this, but I'm going to ask for Nikki to come up and join me, please, if you won't mind. Um, yeah, please. Let's just give her a round of applause, please. Thank you. She has absolutely zero idea what I'm about to do. But she's getting used to it. Um, we're going to act a drama, a little drama for you. And um, here's the drama. You see, the reason for the drama is there's something about what we see that registers on our mind. So that's my jacket. Within the jacket represents my desires, what I want. And now she is a Christian who wants to please God. And she wants to please God. I mean, literally, she is. She's a Christian who wants to please God in everything she does. And she needs to see self-control as a part of her life. I, because I'm wearing a black top, nearly black top, represents her old nature, the one that does not want her to please God, the one that wants her to live to satisfy my cravings. And so this is her desire to please God. And there's a struggle, if you pull that jacket, not too much, so it rips, not too much. <laughs> but, but, but as we pull on both sides, this is her trying and me pulling and there's a tension that continues as we try to become what God wants us to be. As we try to please God. You can envisage David now with his, with his emotions as he was thinking, should I or should I not? I saw that woman, she pleased me. You can envisage Eve now saying, should I eat the apple or not? I remember God said we shouldn't eat. And these struggles and tension exist in a lot of us. Until we introduce a third person. The Holy Spirit. You see, when we introduce the Holy Spirit, what happens? Can someone else join us, please? Please, one more person. Just volunteer. I just need us to show this. Thank you, Dutton. Now we introduce the Holy Spirit. What she does is to hand over control to the Holy Spirit. And she stands behind the Spirit of grace. And it is not her now doing the pulling. It is not her now trying to please God. It is the Holy Spirit who takes control completely over from the old nature and allows her to live through to please God. It begins to guide her to please God. And that is all this is about. Thank you very much. 
This is what this is all about. It is about us losing control, not going wacko because we've lost it all, but intentionally handing over control to the Holy Spirit. Does this make sense, church? Praise God. Amen. Self-control is all about you. We're going to share a word of prayer. Um, I think we're still within time. Cool. I'm just going to pray um, for us um, as a congregation for the word that we just heard now. But can I say to you, it's while there is an inherent power in God's word to change and transform our lives, it's not what I say that does it. It's what you do with what I say. They that know their God shall be strong. And they will do exploit. Oh Lord that we know you. Lord that we know you. Lord impress these truths in our hearts. So strongly and so indelible. Impress them. Inscribe them Lord. Impress them in our spirits. Impress them in our spirits. There are areas of our lives where we struggled for too long. There are mountains that we've circled, Lord, for too long around. Lord, we want to give that control over to you, Holy Spirit. We've tried so much on our own, but we recognize this morning that you are the vine, we are the branches. Except we abide in you, we cannot bear any fruit. And so we just want to give it to you, Lord. We let go. We let go. We quit pulling. For by the strength of from by the strength of, of flesh, no one can prevail. We can't prevail on our own strength. For by the arm of flesh, the scripture says, no man can prevail. Lord, consciously we give it up to you. Holy Spirit, we invite you into those areas of struggle. Whether it be career, come, Holy Spirit. Whether it be decisions that are tough for us to make, come Holy Spirit. Whether it is a health choice that we need to make, come Holy Spirit. Whether it is a relationship choice, come Holy Spirit. We let go. We let go. I'm just going to invite the senior leadership of the church to join me as we just pray for this church as we pray and declare a blessing over the people. I'd just like us to pray over the church before we do that prayer. I don't know. Um, Marina is going to be bringing a scripture, but I, I want to share this scripture. I, I know Lindsay posted this scripture on Facebook sometime within the week, Psalm 91. It's a scripture that I grew up with, a scripture that I, I, I can testify about the, the power within it. The, the promises of God that are contained there are, are mind-blowing. They are so reassuring. They are so powerful. It says that he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High abides under the shadow of the Almighty. 
there is with confidence, I will say of the Lord that, you know, they say that we, we, he will cover us with his feathers and under his wings we will trust. His truth shall be our shield and our buckler. You say the, the, the pestilence that walks in darkness, the destruction that wastes at noonday, no plague will come near our dwelling. I don't know when you read these words. Do you believe them? Do you hold on to them? Because in times like this, our lives depend on them. No plague shall come near our dwelling. No plague will come near our dwelling. Let our confidence be in God's word. Let's stand to our feet, church. Let's stand to our feet. Yeah. Do you know what? Prayer can be, um, I'm a great believer that prayer can take, you know, many forms. Maybe you may, you're somebody who prays with, a, prays with a calm demeanor. You're somebody who sits or maybe you're somebody who shouts and paces up and down. You know, whatever that is. But I do believe that in times like this, that um, earnest prayer, earnest prayer is powerful. That's why I've asked you to stand up, because we're going to pay attention. We're going to put our focus on the Lord. Let's pray together. Let's pray together this morning, church. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your word this morning, Lord, that Sam has brought. Thank you for our service, Lord. I thank you for each person, Lord, gathered in this place today. Lord, I, I pray that the peace of our Lord Jesus, Lord, will guard our hearts and our minds, Lord. That peace that transcends all of our understanding, Lord can't com contemplate it can't make sense of it lord but i pray that it would guard our hearts and our minds lord we've been speaking about the holy spirit in recent weeks and as we've drawn to a close lord i'm just reminded of the the words that jesus said that when the advocate comes the holy spirit sent from the father he will testify about me what's the express intention of the holy spirit it's to point to jesus christ his supremacy in everything Lord, that's my prayer for the church this morning. Lord, as I've been saying continuously in recent weeks, Lord, I pray that we would grow in the knowledge of the supremacy of Jesus in any and every situation, Lord, including what our nation and our world faces at this time. Lord, I pray that the joy of the Lord would be our strength. In your mighty, precious, awesome name. Amen. Amen. Oh, Lord Jesus, we just thank you. We thank you for this time together, Lord, as a family, as brethren, as sisters, Lord, that we can just be here together to honor you, to lift you up, to glorify your name, knowing that with you all things are possible. There is nothing you can't fix. There is nothing you can't turn around, Lord. You are a miracle-working God. You were, you are, and you always will be. So we stand together in faith, Lord Jesus. Just knowing that, Lord, we'll be here thanking you. When, when this, this virus, this scare has come to an end, we'll be here thanking you when a vaccine or a cure has been found. Lord, we'll be here thanking you and praising you and lifting you up and saying, you saw us through this, Lord. We're leaning on you and we're just believing that, Lord, with friends, with families, with work colleagues, that many will ask about you. We want to know 
about our faith, when we keep talking about what you're doing and how you're seeing us through, that many will come to know of you. Many will look to your word, Lord. In the period of self-isolation and all that stuff going on, Lord, that people will have a yearning to read your word, open the Bible, look for things of you, Lord Jesus, that your name and your name will be glorified. Our Lord, we trust in you and we believe that you've heard our prayers and you're indeed, they're answered and we'll wait and see the full manifestation. In Jesus' mighty name we've prayed. Amen. Amen. And we'll conclude with this from the Lord's word. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. So if you wish to, we'll fellowship downstairs for a little while.